Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We're in a series titled Elijah. We're learning about an ordinary man with extraordinary faith who stood up in a time of darkness. Thanks for joining us today. Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Brian. It's good to see you. Uh, Today, we begin a new series in the life of the Old Testament prophet Elijah. And over the next 10 weeks, we're going to see and learn, if you're following in your notes, that Elijah is an ordinary man with an extraordinary faith who stood up in a time of darkness. An ordinary man with extraordinary faith. Now, we've done a number of character studies over the years throughout the summer, and we always want to remind ourselves that these people are normal people. They're normal people who made themselves available to partner with God, to join him in his mission. These are real people who lived real lives, who had real experiences, and they experienced real highs and real lows. In fact, James, the brother of Jesus, tells us in the book of James, chapter 5, verse 17 to 19, you can see this on the screen, he tells us Elijah was as human as we are. And yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. And I share that because I want us to know, and you'll hear it again and again, Elijah isn't a superhero. He's a normal person and we can relate to him. So our our family's been watching some of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Any Marvel fans in here? Anybody? Yeah, okay, a few. So I I think some of my favorite movies are the Avenger movies, and some of my favorite characters are the characters who are normal people. They're not superheroes from other planets. They're normal people who do extraordinary things. So like last week, if you're in a younger generation or even if you're uh, an MCU fan, help me out who these normal people are. This is interactive. So Iron Man is just who? Tony Stark. Yeah. Uh, Black Widow is who? Natasha Romanoff. Yeah. Hawkeye, my favorite, is who? Clint Boyer. Just a normal guy. Falcon, and the new Captain America is Sam Wilson, and Black, this is Ant-Man and Wasp. They're just, there's Hank Pam and Janet Van Dyne, and then finally, a lot of favorites, Black Panther is T'Challa. They're normal people. They're not superheroes. They're ordinary people who do extraordinary things, and just like those characters, Elijah is not a superhero. He's an ordinary person who makes himself available to be used by God. And if you're following in your notes, God still uses ordinary people to accomplish his purposes. He still uses ordinary people. So if you're thinking right now, God would probably choose someone other than me. Don't. If you're looking around and you're thinking, well, they're more special. They have better gifts than I do. Don't. You may be missing the opportunity that God is putting right in front of you. And it might be something big, but it's more likely something small. Your ministry might be to one, two, or three people. It might be your family, your kids, your coworkers, fellow athletes on the team, your neighbors. Don't discount that. 
Don't discount that God wants to use ordinary people just like us. So I love this quote from a pastor in North Carolina named J.D. Greer. He says, God is not looking for superhuman people with great talents. He's looking for ordinary people with unconditional surrender and extraordinary confidence in him. And that's who Elijah was. So as we begin this character study, I wanna name the wrong question to ask. The wrong question throughout this entire study is how can I be more like Elijah? That's just the wrong question. You won't hear us moralizing stories and say, how can we be more like Elijah? Because Elijah was a unique person who lived at a specific time and God asked him to do specific things. So that's the wrong question. The apostle Paul tells us in Romans 15, verse four, he says, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. So so the right question is what can we learn about God? What can we learn about Elijah? And what can we learn about ourselves to grow in our faith? How do these scriptures encourage us and give us hope? That's what we'll be talking about. And in addition, this is important to say as we start a character study, even though we're studying the life of Elijah, if you're following in your notes, God is always the main character. God is always the main character. And throughout the life of Elijah, we're gonna see this beautiful intermingling of God revealing himself to Elijah. And Elijah listened and he he obeyed God because he trusted God's character. So I'm excited to look at this life of an ordinary man with extraordinary faith. I wanna invite you to open your Bibles or your devices to 1 Kings chapter 17. 1 Kings, we don't go there often. It's about a third of the way into the Bible. It's in the Old Testament. And if you don't know where that is, I said this last week, go to the table of contents. That's your best friend. It'll tell you exactly where 1 Kings is. 1 Kings chapter 17 chapter 17. And as you're making your way there, we need to understand where we are in God's story. So graduates and teachers in the room, I am so sorry to do this, but we're going to go to school and have a little history lesson. But this is some of my favorite part of studying scripture. So we're going to spend just a few minutes talking some history here. So here we go. This is good stuff. The story of Elijah takes place in the Old Testament book of 1 Kings. It's the 11th book in the Old Testament, and the previous 10 books talk about the history of God's people. And so in those first 10 books, God had chosen a people. He had chosen a people, the Israelites, to be his own people, and they were to be set apart people, to shine the light of God onto other nations so other nations might follow the one true God. They were God's people and God was to be their king. But we read that they wanted a king for themselves so they could be like the nations around them. And they asked and they asked for a king and God gave them a king. But it was never God's plan to have a king rule over his people because God was to be their king. I wanna invite you to turn your notes over for just a minute. The, the books of First and Second Kings cover about 370 years of history, starting from the end of David's reign. 
The book of 1 Kings begins with David dying and passing the kingdom onto his son Solomon. And then after Solomon died, a civil war broke out. And the kingdom that had been united under Saul, David, and Solomon was split in two. I wanna put a map on the screen for you so you can see what I'm talking about. It was broken into a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was Israel, the southern Judah. The capital of Israel was Samaria. The capital of Judah was Jerusalem. And throughout this division, you can see on your notes, there were 20 kings of Judah, and five of them, the Bible said, were good or did right. I've italicized those for you. And there were 20 kings of Israel and none of them were good or did right. They did evil. And the king that we're going to come back to time and time again in this series is named Ahab. I've bolded him there just so you know where we are in that chronological history. So if you turn your notes back over, First and Second Kings, if you're following your notes, First and Second Kings is a story about the sinfulness of kings and the persistent idolatry of God's people. The sinfulness of kings and the persistent idolatry of God's people. And in the midst of these kings, you have that list in your head. In the midst of these kings and idolatry, if you're following in your notes, God raised up prophets to deliver his message. He raised up prophets. 133 of them are named in the Bible. They're just ordinary people who partnered with God. A couple words about prophets. They weren't fortune tellers, right? We hear that word and sometimes we think, oh, they predict the future. They did that sometimes, but more often than not, they were concerned with the present. And prophets were people inspired by God through the Holy Spirit to deliver a message and they continually called people back to follow the one true God, to leave their false gods and follow the one true God. And in 1 Kings chapter 16, a new king is crowned and his name is Ahab. And we're told in chapter 16, Ahab is the worst king in the history of Israel up to this point, which just makes you wonder, right? Like you have to be pretty bad to be labeled the worst of all the kings. And he's the only king to have his wife listed as well. So we know she's significant to the story. So a couple things we need to know about Ahab and Jezebel. Let's go back to our map real quick. In the 8th century BC, you see the red circle uh, up in the left corner. The king of Israel, Ahab, entered into a diplomatic marriage with the daughter of the king of Tyre and Sidon in order to have an alliance. And they worshiped in Tyre and Sidon this false god named Baal. And why Jezebel is important is because she brought this worship of this false god, Baal, to Israel for the first time. Now, God's people had always been tempted by false gods, but for the first time in history, this is why this is important. For the first time in history, you have the power structure of Israel, the king and the queen, the government, systematically going about to create a religiously pluralistic society and an idol-worshiping society. If you're following in your notes, Ahab and Jezebel legislated idol worship of Baal. They legislated it. You had to do it. And since this false God will show up again and again in the story of Elijah, we need to know just a little bit about Baal. 
His name means Lord, and if you're following in your notes, he was known as the God of life, death, rain, and the earth's fertility. His victory over death would return each year in the fall when the rains would come, and he would return from the underworld, bringing rain to renew the earth's fertility to new life. This is going to be really important for our story today. Really important. He's the God of rain and the earth's fertility. And people would offer sacrifices to this false god. They would try to appease him, and in times of crisis, they would sacrifice their children to Baal. The Bible calls this detestable. You'll hear more about Baal in the weeks to come, but Elijah's ministry, we need to know this up front, his ministry and words spoken are a direct confrontation to this false god, Baal. And so in spiritual terms, just to set the table where we are, this is a time of complete despair in Israel. And the chasm between God and his people is at its widest breath. God needed someone to confront the blatant idolatry and he chose Elijah. Listen, he didn't raise up an army. He raised up one ordinary person with extraordinary faith. And God still does that today. All right, let's take a deep breath. Everybody just take a breath. We're gonna take about 30 seconds. We're done with our history lesson. I want you to stretch for a minute. I want you to look to the person next to you. Tell them one thing that you learned in that brief history of the Old Testament. Ready, go. 20, 30 seconds. We just need to stretch it out for a minute. Then we're gonna keep going. All right, thank you. Thank you, graduates, for doing that. Thank you. Hey, here we go. Elijah enters this story. We all know where we are now. Elijah enters the story. First Kings chapter 17, verse one. First gray box on your notes. Would you read this with me? It says, now Elijah, who was from Tishbe in Gilead, told King Ahab, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, the God I serve. There will be no dew or rain during the next few years until I give the word. So we don't know a lot about Elijah other than his name and where he's from. So if you're following in your notes, Elijah is a prophet and his name means the Lord is God. The Lord is God, Yahweh, the one true God who Chuck spoke about is God. And his name would not have gone unnoticed. Every time it was uttered by Ahab or Jezebel, they would be saying out loud, the Lord is God. And it had to drive them crazy. So I wanna put our map back up on the screen to show you where Elijah's from. It's a little town called Tishbe in a region called Gilead. We're not even exactly sure where Tishbe is. They're guessing that it's around there. But little is known about that, but we know Gilead, the region, is rugged. It's a forested land where most people worked outside with their hands. What they're trying to communicate is it was not a place of polish and sophistication and diplomacy. 
So this ordinary guy from a no-name place shows up in the presence of the king, and he says, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, the God I serve, there will be no rain or no dew during the next few years until I give the word. Now, you remember who Baal was, right? God of rain, life, death, earth's fertility. This is a direct confrontation to Baal because he's the one who sent rain when you did his bidding or when you served him or when you sacrificed your children to him. And Elijah's saying, Baal doesn't control the rain, Ahab. The one true God controls everything. And this was gonna spotlight his powerlessness. So Elijah has just confronted the king and told him there'd be no rain for years and defied the false god Baal. And we're gonna see what happens next. In the second gray box in your notes, would you read with me verses two to five, and then I'll continue into verse six. It says, then the Lord said to Elijah, go to east and hide by the Kareth brook near where it enters the Jordan River. Drink from the brook and eat what the ravens bring you, for I have commanded them to bring you food. So Elijah did as the Lord told him. And I'll continue. And Elijah camped beside Kareth Brook, east of the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat each morning and evening, and he drank from the brook. Now, this is a bit surprising because Elijah's in the presence of the king. And in my opinion, keep him there. Keep him in the face of the king and queen confronting their idolatry. But God tells Elijah to go back east. And one more time, I wanna put our map up so you can see where Elijah went. He was in Samaria addressing the king and God directed him to go back by his home and hide by the Kareth Brook about 40 miles away. And this is where I wanna spend the rest of our time this morning is at the Kareth Brook. If you're following in your notes, Kareth means to eliminate or cut off. It means to eliminate and cut off, and it reveals how God was working in the life of Elijah during this time. Now, we'll talk in a few minutes about what we can learn in Kareth, but I want to name a few examples of what Kareth might be like in our lives, because God leads us into seasons where he eliminates things, and he cuts things out of our lives. So examples in Kareth might include times of deep hurting, someone lets you down, a spouse wants a divorce. Something gets taken away and things are not going the way you thought they would. It might be a financial valley, an addiction, a medical diagnosis. Sometimes seasons in Kareth are brought on by our bad decisions and sinfulness, sometimes by the bad decisions of others, and other times we don't know why we're led to Kareth. This past year, we all experienced a Kareth season as we lived through COVID. There are other Kareth seasons, and they're not necessarily bad things. There are seasons where God is taking you in a new direction, a new job, a move to a new city or a state, maybe even a graduation, a new baby in the family. It may be a situation where God wants to relocate and reorient your life in some way to shape your faith. That's also a Kareth season. I was thinking back to some Kareth seasons in my own life, and the one that came to mind was in about 2010. Our children's pastor had left to go to Indiana to another church, and God prompted me 
to talk to Jeff and the elders about stepping in to that role. Listen, it didn't make sense at the time. I had no background in childhood development. I, I didn't go to school for children's ministry, but I sensed the Lord was asking me to step into that season. I was a dad of two boys struggling with my own parenting. How was I gonna build into 200 kids? But I sense that's what God wanted me to do. And I also sense this. I sensed God wanted to figuratively and literally take me downstairs where our children's ministry is located, at the elementary is located. It's like God's saying, I need to get you off the main stage for a little bit so that I can build your character and show you some things to shape your faith. He wanted to teach me to trust him more. He wanted to teach me humility, right? Kids don't usually run up to you and thank you for teaching them the Bible every Sunday. He wanted to teach me the power of prayer and the power of the Holy Spirit to open a child's heart, a person's heart to the good news of Jesus. He wanted me to see how kids worship each Sunday. And if you've never seen that, it's inspiring. God knew I needed to be in Kareth. During that time, my twin daughters also died, which led me to another Kareth and a deconstruction and reconstruction of my faith and relationship with God. And I didn't do everything perfectly during that time, but it was hugely transformational to my faith and who I am today but I lived by the Kareth Brook, maybe for like three years, four years. I'm sure you can think about your own Kareth experiences in the past or that you're currently living in. And if you're wondering, is God leading me into Kareth? I appreciate, appreciate what Priscilla Shire, a Bible teacher instructs. I wanna put this on the screen. She says, here's how you know when God is beginning to prepare you for the next season in the journey with him. He calls you to release your grasp on something, someone, or someplace. He wants to remove the idols in our life so that we can be fully surrendered to him. So whether you've been in or you currently are or you will be in Kareth, there are several lessons we can learn about God, Elijah, and ourselves for the endurance and the hope that we need. So I wanna provide the lesson and then give you a question to ask yourself, and you can write this question next to the lesson and then self-assess later today. So the first lesson we can learn in the life of Elijah in this first story, one, God wants to teach us complete dependence on him. Complete dependence. And God knew the difficult tasks that were gonna be in front of Elijah. We're gonna study those this summer. And it's like God was saying, I'm gonna remove, Elijah, any strength you have in yourself, even to take care of yourself, your most basic needs, and I'm gonna put you in a place where you have to depend on me for everything. Careth is a place where God brings us to the end of ourselves so we can have a greater faith in him. And if we're all gonna experience a careth, then we we need to know how to live in them because how we live in them matters. And I want to encourage you, it can be transformational. And rather than seeing it as a waste of time, we can see these moments as times where God wants to teach us complete dependence on him. So let me ask you, here's the question. Is there anything that you need to let go of? 
Are there any idols or false gods that you think will fulfill you or provide you with what you need? Do you need to let go of anything? Maybe God is asking you to let go of something that you trust in other than him. The second lesson that we learn in Kareth, if you're following in your notes, is God uses Kareth to train and prepare us. To train and prepare. God wanted to prepare Elijah for what was next. Some think Elijah was at the Kareth Brook for two to three years. And I love what Charles Swindoll says about this Kareth experience for Elijah. I wanna put this on the screen. Charles Swindoll says, in essence, God said to Elijah, you need to get out of the spotlight. You need to come up to the mountains alone with me where you can hear my voice clearly. We need more time together, Elijah, and you need more training. And it's in this isolation and it's in this solitude that God trains Elijah for what's next. One really interesting thing to note, we're introduced to Elijah in verse one as the Tishbite. And when we get to verse 24 in chapter one, if you look in your Bibles, he's described as the man of God. He goes from being defined by where he was from to being defined by whom he belongs to. That's what Kareth does to us. It's a place where God shapes our character so we can bear the weight of his calling on our lives. So let's be honest, though. Kareth is perceived as a time of obscurity, isolation, unproductive. It's mundane, humiliating, too hard to endure, a waste, or even a punishment from God. It's a place we ask, why, Lord, why? And I just want to say it again. How we view these times makes all the difference. We can view them as a waste of time, or you can ask this question. If you want to write it on your notes, what do you want me to learn from this? What do you want me to learn, God? What are you teaching me? The third lesson we learn about God, Elijah, and ourselves, if you're following your notes, is that we can trust God one day at a time. One day at a time. Did you notice that God never told Elijah what the second step would be until he took the first step? God told Elijah to go to Ahab. And when he got to the palace, God told him what to say. And after he said it, God told him to go back east to Kareth Brook. And he didn't tell Elijah what was gonna happen after Kareth Brook. He just said, go and hide yourself. And we, didn't, we don't know the next step until verse eight. And here's why this is so important for us, friends. We don't have to have the end of our time in Kareth figured out. And I think if we try to figure it out, we might circumvent the work God wants to do in our lives while we're in Kareth. So it's critical while we're in Kareth to spend time with him in his word and in prayer so we can hear his voice. We need to be able to listen and respond. And this is how Elijah lived. Listen, it's not extraordinary faith to know how everything is going to work out and then set our trajectory towards that end and work towards it. As I studied the life of Elijah, a paradigm shift happened. I had a conviction that before studying Elijah, I thought his extraordinary faith looked like the showdown at Mount Carmel that we'll study in a couple weeks. 
I would now define Elijah's extraordinary faith as waking up every day, listening to God's voice, and being obedient to what God asked him to do, even when it didn't make sense. That's extraordinary faith. Every day, one day at a time, faith. There's this guy, ordinary person, with extraordinary faith. His name was George Mueller. Lived in the 1800s in Bristol, England, and he built five houses to take care of orphans. He cared for over 10,000 orphans during his lifetime, and he's known for his one-day-at-a-time faith, trusting God to provide. There's this famous story that one morning, there was no food left in the orphanage. The pantry was empty, and the children were standing, waiting for their morning meal, and Mueller lifted up his hands, and he prayed this prayer. Father, we thank you for what you're going to give us to eat. And then there was a knock at the door, and there was a baker at the door that said, Mr. Mueller, I couldn't sleep last night. Somehow I felt you wouldn't have bread for breakfast, and the Lord wanted me to send you some. So I got up at 2 a.m., and I baked some fresh bread, and I've brought it to you. Mr. Mueller thanked the baker. He left when there was a second knock at the door, and it was the milkman. And the milkman said that his cart broke down right in front of the orphanage, and he'd like to give the children his cans of fresh milk so he could empty his wagon and repair it. Our stories don't always go that way. But God is asking us to have extraordinary, expectant, one day at a time faith, even when we don't know what the next step is. And often that's only developed in Kareth. So let me ask you this question. Where are you struggling with one day at a time faith? Where are you struggling with one day at a time faith? A fourth lesson, we learn about God, Elijah, and ourselves. If you're following your notes, God's promises can be trusted. His promises can be trusted. Kareth comes with a promise of God's care and provision. God promised to provide food and water for Elijah in this isolated, lonely location, and God kept his word. And we need to know this. God may lead us to Kareth, but he doesn't abandon us there, and he doesn't leave us there. Listen, we need to know this. The silence of God does not equal his absence. He's always working. And this is why it's critical, again, to spend time with him in his word and in prayer, even when we don't feel like it, especially when we don't feel like it, so we can hold fast to the promises of God. And so maybe as you spend time with God, you need to circle the promises you come across in Scripture. I'm gonna share just a couple promises with you this morning if you're in Kareth right now. Hebrews 13.5 tells us that I will never leave you I will never abandon you. If you're there now, he is with you. In John chapter 14, 27, these are the words of Jesus. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Friends, God's promises can be trusted. Francis Chan has this great quote. He's a pastor in California. He says, true faith, means putting every hope in God's faithfulness to his promises. I'm gonna read that again. True faith means putting every hope in God's faithfulness to his promises. So here's the question. Are there any promises of God that you're doubting? 
any promises of God you're doubting or that you need to be reminded of. He's a promise-keeping God. In Kareth, we cling to God's promises, and the fifth and last lesson we can learn is that God often surprises us. He often surprises us. In Elijah's story, God brought bread and meat via ravens. Really? Really, ravens. Like people who study ravens report that ravens rarely, if ever, return to the same place twice. They are voracious eaters. They're indiscriminate in what they eat. So these ravens would have eaten all the food that God gave them for Elijah. But it's through these selfish birds that God delivers breakfast and dinner to Elijah each day for several years. And this is what I want us to to hear in this lesson. In Kareth, God gives us a front row seat to see him provide in ways we can't imagine. He surprises us. So the prayer, it's not a question on this. It's a prayer that I want you to write down. Surprise me, God. Surprise me. And then keep your eyes open because he might answer your prayers in ways you can't even think about yet. And he does that to strengthen our faith as well. So everybody here, everybody in this room and joining us online, you're in one of two places in life. You're in Kareth right now. Things have been taken away and your life is being reoriented in some way. Or you will be in a Kareth at some point in the future. And rather than despising our time there, let's be a people who allow this time to shape us and grow us in our faith, to prepare us for what's next, because God is still looking for ordinary people with extraordinary faith. And often, often our faith is developed and it's shaped by the Kareth Brook. Would you pray with me? God, give us eyes to see how you are working. You don't waste anything. You don't waste any experience. So God, help us have eyes to see, even in valleys that you are at work. We can trust you. Your promises are sure. You are growing us and shaping our faith for what is next in our lives because you are still looking for ordinary people with extraordinary faith to accomplish your purposes. God, may we be a people. May we be a people that are part of a movement of ordinary people with extraordinary faith that share our faith with others so that more and more people might have the hope of Jesus in their lives. So God, we're grateful. You're always working. You never abandon us. You never forsake us. We're grateful, God. Thanks for Elijah. Thanks for what we can learn about you, about him, and about ourselves through your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody agreed and said, amen. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information about our church or to get connected, please visit cherryhillsfamily.org or find us on Facebook. Thanks for joining us.